You were just saying something about how when you rewatch movies, you find yourself rewatching more shitty horror films than you do movies you might even like or dislike or want to give another chance after maybe not connecting with it in theaters. And I gotta ask, what shitty fucking horror movie do you find yourself re-watching over and over again, even though you've probably seen it tons of times? Well, and I, I mean, when I say shitty, I obviously... Well, maybe not shitty. I don't think it's shitty necessarily, sure. but I understand the type of movie it is. And I've seen the movie Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2 many times. <laughs> and I don't think I've seen that. Uh, it's fantastic. And <laughs> you don't have to have seen Prom Night to enjoy it, because it has absolutely nothing to I do. I saw the 2000 remake. And that's the only? You, you never only, saw the... I don't believe I saw the original. Well... Do yourself a favor Call and, the title, and uh, say the title again. <laughs> Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Hello, Mary Lou, Prom yep. Night 2. It's a great movie. It's got Electric Michael Ironside. Yeah. Michael Ironside? Michael Ironside's in it. I fucking love him. Um, He's great. He's got the voice of a generation. That generation is Vietnam. Yeah. <laughs> I was kidding. It's not their current generation. He's... But uh, yeah, it's Starship it's, Trooper. That's, that's one of them. So that that's a movie that I'll I'll put on, knowing that I have many other movies in my collection that I've only seen once, maybe a long time ago, that could qualify as being due for a, a second a viewing. But yeah. I'm like, well, nope, I'm gonna put this on again. Or sometimes I'll give a try to another horror movie that. Uh, I didn't like that much the first or second or third or fourth time. I like, well, maybe this time it'll be pretty good. You know, we were talking earlier about Nightmare on Elm Street Five. That's a <laughs> that falls in that category where I, every few years I think this time that uh, I might like it's it. gonna be better. Yeah. It's gonna be better this time. I recently did that with Hellraiser, and I still don't like it that much. What is it that you don't like about it? That they don't really do anything. The story doesn't really affect anyone. It doesn't really change anything. It's kind of like... Uh, don't get me wrong. It has some great special effects. The acting is better than most horror movies at the time. Um, the writing is a little... Uh, I don't know if self-righteous is the word because it's a horror movie, but Clive Barker always kind of has that about his things, like, nothing is scarier than this. I'm saying the scariest thing I can say right now. You know, like... I very, like that, though. Very that on the stuff. nose. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it buys into itself, and that's pretty fun. It's very Lovecraftian. You know, the more I talk about it, the more you'd think, like, you should like this movie, and every time I watch it, I'm just like, I don't give a shit. I think, um... It's something about the fact that the Cenobites have so much power, but choose to, like, almost choose to not really do anything. 
Well, that's what they... That's what they do. That's what they do in hell. They sit around amusing themselves and... They just hang out. Jerking off, and then they come to Earth when somebody calls them up It confuses me. It confused me as a child. My dad let me watch it when I was, like, ten. It confused me then, and it confuses me now. I, um, I... What I will say is one thing I learned from being a child to now is I've understood sadomasochism now. Finding pleasure from pain and pain from pleasure. I understand that now. Um, I could say that because I have like 40 plus tattoos and, you know, I like getting tattoos. It's fun. I understand that. So Frank is like, Frank, I get it. But he also like dies. (laughs) And I don't really consider that like the ultimate pleasure. (laughs) I don't think he wanted necessarily. (laughs) He definitely did. He picked up that puzzle box and he said, this shit is gonna kill me. And did it anyway. It's kind of like drugs. Like heroin. It's like heroin. Hellraiser is heroin. (laughs) You heard it here on Lots of Pasta. Hellraiser is about addiction. Bum bum. I don't know, man. I just, I always thought if crazy hell god people uh, existed they wouldn't fuck around with a teenager so much. Well, anybody who calls them, that's a thing. Just because they pick up the uh, the phone doesn't mean they need to have a conversation. They could just, like, appear and kill her immediately and then go back home. They, the solving <laughs> of the box is like the screening of who the caller is. So okay, they're okay. like, all right, well... They passed the test. We got a call. They knew how to do the box. Like Ghostbusters. We better show up and tear them apart. (laughs) I just wish the tearing apart would actually happen. Because it seems like, uh, what is it, Kirsty? Yeah. It just always seems like um, she just happens to luck out. You know, like one of them them just makes a mistake and she's able to get away from them. When really it's just like... Nah, if 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 Pinhead really wanted to kill you, he would have killed you a while ago. And I just... It's the cat and mouse thing that usually I don't care about in mm-hmm. movies. But in Hellraiser specifically, it makes less sense to me. Like, when you put Jason on the side of Crystal Lake, and he's walking, and he's walking, and he's walking, and he still manages... To pop through a window and kill someone, you know, when you least expect it. That, like, makes sense to me. It has, like, a physicality to it. Okay. It has, like, a chemistry. It has... It makes sense. Hellraiser doesn't make sense to me. It just... Something about it is so backwards. I guess that's kind of the point, though. I guess I just don't like it. That's just the end of it. I just... Fair enough. (laughs) They've done a good job of trying to explain why. Um, I can appreciate it. I just think when people say that, like, Hellraiser is, like, one of the best, like, horror movies of all time, or, I don't don't know, I kind of always look at them and I'm just like, Hellraiser holds nothing to, like, Halloween, Friday, or Nightmare, in my opinion. I like those movies better, too, but I still... I still would hold that one up there. I mean, sure. Sure. No, it's definitely it's definitely with the tops. I guess I'm just saying that uh 
Hellraiser just bothers me on like an internal level. And I don't know why. Maybe it's because um, when I was in high school, I had a teacher who claimed that it was like not only his favorite movie of all time, but like the best horror of all time. And I tried to have like a discussion with him about it and about why it wasn't that great. And he just always like trolled me out of <laughs> my opinion. This is a high school teacher? This is a high school teacher. And I actually really respect him. So it always angered me that he just thought Hellraiser was the best thing ever. So maybe I'm just going to inherently dislike it for all of eternity just because of my old art teacher. <laughs> oh, shit. Um, that got off track fast. <laughs> That's what happens when you talk about Hellraiser. You were talking about giving Hellraiser another chance. I always talk about giving Hellraiser another chance, and then I watch it and I'm like, but that doesn't... Frank, what? Anyway. We we watched... We watched a pretty funny movie just now. Um, I've never seen it before, but now I wish I had... Um, because it's the kind of, uh, it's the kind of, like, stupid, funny, I feel like I have always gravitated to in my life. Like, the more we watched it, the more I was like, this is just an amalgamation of several other things from this, like, era that I like. It was very both, like, Airplane, uh, Wet Hot American Summer, and, like... I don't fucking know. Weekend at Bernie's. <laughs> it's hard to, like, put it in a fucking corner. But we watched a movie called Summer School. And, uh, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. It has a lot of horror elements. What did you say to me? That it has horror in it, but it's not... You asked movie. me if it was horror-related, and I said semi-horror-related. And you'll see what I mean because of the... Characters of Chainsaw and Dave. Chainsaw and Dave, I give Summer School two thumbs up. Yeah. That's what they do, because they were Roger Eberting it, trying to explain their love of Texas Chainsaw Massacre to an Italian foreign exchange student. You know what? Uh, Toby, Toby Hoops, also not a huge fan of Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No. I, now, I like that more than Hellraiser, though. Okay. I like Leatherface more than Pinhead. Leatherface makes more sense to me than Pinhead does. There's something uh, there's something artistic about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, too. There though, is. Along yeah. with all the grime and, you know, uh, dirty documentary look. I mean, there's some really interesting technical stuff in that movie. Yeah. And when you consider the low budget these guys had... Uh, you know, they're just a few folks out there in the South making this movie. They're backed probably by the mob, though they never quite knew for sure who was giving them their money. But, uh, you know, they have no air conditioning and just disgusting conditions, wearing the same clothes And day they after made the day. fucking best of it. And they somehow have, like, some really technically interesting stuff in the movie, as they well as do. it being just a... A cool movie, um, you know that shot of the girl getting up from the swing and walking into the house, and the camera goes under the swing. Like, 
most yeah. mo- most low budget horror movies were didn't trying try to so do hard. stuff like that. Yeah, yeah, because there was they you could didn't tell need he to, had but... you could tell he had an eye. Like he had a he had a good uh, he had a good composition, like sense sense of composition, I suppose. I I also think that uh, Texas Chainsaw is also one of those series where um, I don't so much hate the newer ones that have come out. Like the one in uh, 2000 with Jess Beale. I didn't think that was that bad. I've never really liked any of the sequels uh, until um, the one with Alexandra Daddario that came out the a few new, years ago. The new, new one. Yeah. yeah, but then there's a newer, new one. Because, Is there? Yeah, there was I one that I came missed, out uh, that two one. years ago that... Uh, it didn't have it didn't have too much of a chainsaw wasn't vibe. It, wasn't it just called Leatherface or something like that? Yeah, which is the second movie called Leatherface, and Sex Chainsaw Massacre Three was called Leatherface as well. Ah, with old, uh, Vigo Mortensen or Mortensen. What is it, Mortensen? I always say Vigo Mortensen. Well, I just think it rolls off the tongue better. I'm probably wrong. He was in that one. Yeah, uh, but the, I I don't think that the sequels to Texas Chainsaw Massacre ever amounted to too much. But I did like that I did like that one with Alexandra Daddario and she's also... many people assured me it's a piece of shit, but Oh no, it's none none of them are good. I just say that they they work as remakes, I guess, because they're cheap and they're always bloody and you you always watch people get murdered. Yeah, I sure do. You know, it does it does the horror movie thing. It does. And it doesn't not do that. And that's all I have to say about <laughs> that. I think that was my biggest problem with uh with like the remake of Nightmare on Elm Street. I actually like the remake of uh Friday the 13th, the uh the 2009 what was it? Platinum Dunes one. I thought that the Nightmare on Elm Street remake wasn't bad. That was the one that got more hate than any of them, but I actually kind of enjoyed that movie. And the Friday the 13th movie, I didn't dislike, but I don't it, doesn't think... ha- it doesn't have any kind of a Friday the 13th vibe, if you ask me. Sure. Uh, one thing that the, a it's lot of these... It's filmed entirely differently. Yeah, and a lot of these remakes, Nightmare on Elm Street remake, also... Uh, make a mistake with is ditching this classic music. The Friday the 13th and That's Nightmare true. on Elm Street movies have this great, iconic music, and there's not there's no way to top it, so I say why not work it into the movie? Instead remake you it. get something generic. Yeah, remake it the same way you're remaking the movie. Yeah, and they did, they, they threw did it, it in Halloween. a little bit. They threw it in for a few seconds. That's one thing the new it. Halloween did really well. Yeah. They brought the original music back, but mixed it in a new way. They even got Carpenter to do it. Yeah, it sounds fantastic. And it sounds really good. When he throws those bass lines in there, it really changes the fucking song. Really good. Yeah, he's gotten more into the bringing in all the other instruments since he started putting out those albums. With his... <laughs> I think it's because he has time and understanding now. <laughs> I think it's because he's not busy making no, movies. No interest in directing movies, but he, he plays video games and watches basketball oh and God. now makes music. He said he wanted to make a Dead Space movie 
ba- just by playing the video games. Right. And I lost my shit when he said that. <laughs> I was like, give this man a hundred million dollars and tell him to make a Dead Space movie. And we would have so much fucking fun. Please tell me you know what Dead Space you, is. Yeah, because you told me about it. I fucking love Dead Space. But I don't know, do you really want him to make it now? You know. Yes, I do. He's been out of the game a little while. Did you, you see the You can't ward? do Dead Space. <laughs> oh, yeah, I did. And it was bad. That was his last directorial. Effort. Yeah. I also, um, I also absolutely despise Ghosts of Mars. So, I like it. Plus, it's got it's got that it's got that classic open ending that John Carpenter always does. It's so bad. I liked it. It is so bad. (laughs) I liked it. (laughs) I did, and I like that he always does his own music and his. He does a. I do like that. He does a, a you know all aspects of the movie. When he puts his name above it and it says John Carpenter's Halloween, John Carpenter's Escape from New York, it's yeah. That really is his fucking movie. It's impossible to screw up Dead Space because there's only two points to the plot. The plot is... And I'm not even going to use Isaac people for people who know Dead Space. Like, I'm not even going to talk about Isaac. You don't even have to adapt to the video games. You just need two things. You need a crew in space that stumbles upon another ship... That has powered down for some odd reason. And then the second thing you need is for the reason to be necromorphs. And then you just make the movie. You could do anything with that. Just those two concepts. Cast of space people, necromorphs. And I have no doubt that John Carpenter would be able to take both of those things and make an interesting product. Oh, I was only joking before. I hope you don't really think that I don't believe John Carpenter could make the Dead Space movie. <laughs> I think I'm just elaborating <laughs> on it. But I'm glad that you agree with me. The um, the necromorphs have this ability, um, you know, to look like they were already inspired by John Carpenter. And um, who's the other one? Gross-out director. Cronenberg. Yeah, so it it kind of... Everything about the Necromorphs looks like something out of Carpenter or Cronenberg's, like, wheelhouse. And um, if they got the person who, like, inspired that to do the thing that it's doing, you're gonna have a great fucking movie. (laughs) And, Mm -hmm. like, he would use... He would use practical effects, he would do the soundtrack... He would it. It's just it would just be all dark tunnels and tons of blood, and it would just be lasers and alien creatures. And I just really want it to happen. <laughs> <laughs> I just really love sci-fi horror. I we don't we don't get enough of them. Um, what was it? Um, Pandorum was supposed to be a. Uh, test film to see if something like Dead Space could be made into a movie. And I thought Pandorum looked like a wonderful movie. I just think all the twists kind of sucked. And um, 
and then it's just not a great movie to watch. But I thought the special effects and the way it was shot and how it's just fucking dark. It is a dark goddamn movie. Do you know what I'm talking about? I haven't seen it. Pandorum? You should watch it, man. It's fucking great. Who's in it? Um, Dennis Quaid. Oh, shit. What's his name? Ben Foster. Ha! Pulled that out of my ass. Archangel himself. Um, you know, once you said Dennis Quaid, now I'm starting to doubt my what I said earlier. Yeah, Den- Dennis Quaid plays the captain. He wakes up out of hypersleep with Ben Foster, who wakes up before him. And... Um, they both realize that they're on a they're on a ship that has gone ghost while they were in cryostasis, and now the crew is both missing and like really dead. And they did see it. I saw the, that movie. Yeah, so you know. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so I could ruin it. I this movie's like twelve years old. Um, no, like seven. It's probably like two thousand twelve. Um, the twist is that they're at the bottom of the ocean. They got to the planet they had to. Dennis Quaid's character had gone nuts and tried to blow up the ship by driving it into the planet, but failed. Um, as he was about to drive it into the planet, he got thrown into hypersleep, and naturally the hypersleep's effect is like short-term memory loss. So he doesn't re-go crazy until the end of the film. But at that point, you realize that... Um, They've been under that ocean for, you know, hundreds of years. So the crew has, like, de-evolved because they can't get out of the ship. So there's, like, a sect of kind of uh, descent-like alien-human hybrids that have taken over the ship in order to survive. Um, Very interesting film. I don't know if I'd recommend it. I'm only talking about it because it was supposed to be, like, a test for Dead Space to work, because it's kind of, um... I I don't know if people even know this, really. I just read it once. Um, The studio who made it also had the rights to Dead Space, and they couldn't find a good director to do it, but they did have a script for a kind of safe-by-the-books, color-by-numbers, sci-fi horror, Pandorum, and they said, well, if this does well then we'll know now is the time to release a Dead Space movie. And Pandorum did not do that well, so we never got the Dead Space movie. They knew that the world wasn't ready yet. The world was not ready for the (laughs) Dead Space movie. John Carpenter catches wind of Dead Space being a good sci-fi horror video game and immediately says, Damn, this is cool. (laughs) I want to make this into a movie. I say bring it on. Anywho, summer school. Two thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> Two big thumbs up. Two big thumbs up. Hey, Dave? No, yeah. you're more of the chainsaw. I'm more of the I, Dave. I thought that chainsaw seemed... You know, when I saw the movie, I was about 12, and I thought the chainsaw seemed so super cool and exactly how I would want to be when I got to high school. Now... Look at it now, you know. Chainsaw is only sort of cool. He's probably an alcoholic. He's absolutely an alcoholic. And he's also not that bright. But he is funny and full of character. Therefore, 
uh, I could see why you gravitated to him as a character. And you see his bedroom when they his bedroom they is finally good. show his room and it's just full of prosthetics and posters. Yeah, the Jaws two and Jaws three poster. Yeah, and all the the special effects scene. The kids fool the new teacher. Mm-hmm. She thinks they're dead. They're not really dead. Yeah. But I used to love going to the Halloween store and collecting the late, you know, the shitty latex they sold there and yeah. blood pills and stuff. And I just thought that it seemed like this kid really had the best life going with his room <laughs> just full of this shit. Yeah. And he he and his friend Dave have the ability to do make that happen. You know, amazing effects work that they pulled off on that poor substitute. Some bottom teacher. level shit. It was just intense. But that actor who plays Chainsaw, Dean Cameron, was in a lot of good stuff. For He, he was in the movie Ski School, uh, like around 1990. These kids had to save their ski retreat from being taken over, you know. Uh, they had to go up it's against the evil, the evil ski group of jocks. Yeah. It's basically Animal House, but with skiing. With skiing, yeah. Uh, Got it. But Dean Cameron was in that. He was also in a <laughs> horror movie called Bad Dreams in a hospital. Uh, so a lot of good stuff. I gotta <laughs> say, I knew a lot of the cast, and I did not know Chainsaw from any. You didn't recognize <laughs> no. Mr. Cameron? No. In fact, I think I knew Dave from something else. I didn't know, I didn't know Mr. Cameron. Um, I did know the kid who played the nerd... Whenever I heard him talk, I was like, that's fucking Zim. And I looked it up, and it is the voice actor who plays both Invader Zim and Billy from Grim Adventures of Billy and Mandy, as well as Rasputin from the great video game series Psychonauts. Um, That guy has such a fucking voice. It was so weird to see him in person. It's like seeing Tom Kenny in person. You just don't expect it. Um, Tom Kenny is the voice of SpongeBob and okay. Ice King from Adventure Time. It's just like he looks so fucking normal. <laughs> you know, I always thought the voice of Zim would look fucking crazy, and he just looks so fucking normal. Uh, he he is really expressive in this film, and I wonder if he still he acts or if he he still does appear in films okay he does his obvious talent was his voice i saw he was in the informant a couple years ago i think that was one of the more recent films i saw him appear in um at least by looking at the cast list i also saw that the girl who played pam at least i made this attempt um i believe she is an actress from like I want to say, like, three or four seasons of the Stargate TV show on sci-fi. Courtney Thorne Smith. Yeah, you know the names. I don't. What's the name of the girl who played the pregnant chick? No, I never remember her name. I think her last name is Shawnee. Yeah. And uh, I looked at her and I couldn't put my finger on it. But it turns out she played uh, Amanda from Saw. And once I thought of that, I was like, let me remember what I actually wanted to remember, which was she plays the female protagonist in the Blob 88 remake, which is one of my favorite remakes of all time. Yeah, it's one of everybody's favorite remakes of all time. It is so good. And she does good in that movie. So when I saw when I saw her face, 
on that like high school pregnant body, I was like, mm, I've seen this girl screaming her head off at something, <laughs> and I can't put my finger on it. <laughs> and it was the blob. It's always the blob, I guess. You know, at the end of the day, if uh, if you don't recognize someone from something and you need to and you need to remember who it was or what what it was in. You should just go back and watch the 1988 film, The Blob. Because even if they're not in it, you'll remember that that's a good fucking movie. It's a good fucking remake. And when Rob Zombie was denied remaking that film, I was heartbroken. Really? You want another one? I would love another Blob. But I wouldn't want Rob Zombie to direct it, maybe. I would I would much rather... Well, you don't want to see the blob attacking a bunch of rednecks? Mm, probably not. I would love to see someone like James Gunn mm-hmm. do a blob remake. That would be phenomenal. Almost like uh, Slither. Slither's fun. Oh, yeah. Um, anyway, uh, I wanted to follow up... Shit, I didn't even introduce you. We've just been talking for a half hour. I'm obviously here if you've seen the title card for this episode. I am sitting here with Mark Rooster. And uh, we are talking about horror movies because this is what we do. Right? I agree, yes. Great. Sorry, waiting for me to say something. Nope, that's it. (laughs) And uh, last time... Last time we were here, we read Dianea House, and I came to some fucking revelations on that, my friend, that I had not known about prior. <clears throat> Eric Heiserer, the writer of Dianea House, the story we read on your first episode. Yes. Um, he is a screenplay writer for multiple films. He won awards... For writing the 2016 adaptation of The Arrival. Oh, okay. With Amy Adams and Jeremy Renner. That was a good movie. The guy we... The guy we read on your first episode wrote that script. Um, Eric Heiserer started off in 2004 with online fiction. Writing bullshit online fiction for free for people to read. And he made the Dianea House website as kind of like a calling card to get him in the door at at a movie studio. And he ended up getting the attention of Warner Brothers, and they actually bought the rights to Dianea House to turn it into an adaptation of a movie that was supposed to be called The Occupants in 2011, but it was put on a production halt during some type of... uh, strike of some kind and it never got picked back up so unfortunately i don't think we'll ever see a big screen adaptation of dianea house uh the story we read on episode 119 mark rooster's first episode and um after that went downhill he kind of had a foot in the door with uh certain movies and certain movie studios and he ended up writing bringing it back to John Carpenter, um, prequel to The Thing. Um, Also called The Thing. Also called The Thing, just called The Thing 2011, because they wanted to be confusing. Uh, He wrote the script for that. Um, 
he he's done a couple other things. Um, I know he wrote a a couple anime adaptations for big for big screens. Um, none of them come to mind at the moment, but I'm just saying. I fucking found out that the guy we read last episode went on to be a successful and I actually like most of the stuff he's made. Oh, he wrote the remake for Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. Oh, okay. Well, I'm a fan too. I like all that stuff that you mentioned. Yeah. Arrival of the Thing 2011, Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. <laughs> 2010. <laughs> I thought that Thing movie was actually pretty good. Uh, yeah, I liked it. It, it connects was a to the second. It connects yeah. to the. It connects to the original real fucking well. Um, I just, I remember amalgamated released footage of all the practical effects they used in that movie that got chopped out and put over with CGI, and I just remember getting really mad at the studio for making that decision. Yeah, did they filmed more than half the movie with practical effects. I know. Uh, did you see the movie that those effects guys went on to make, The Harbinger? Uh, was that for Neil Blomkamp? No. Uh, the guys who did the effects on the thing that ended up not getting used, they made an effects movie uh, called The Harbinger. I hadn't seen that. It's not that good of a movie. Good effects, though. But the effects are great. Yeah, I, I would yeah. watch a movie for good effects. I actually thought you were talking about the Neil Blomkamp movie, and that wouldn't have surprised me at all. He did a short film with really great sci-fi horror effects. Um... Anyway, Eric Heiserer, check him out. Check out his shit. Dianea House is a great fucking story. Anywho, on your first episode, <clears throat> I recommended The Terror, and I wanted to know if you had checked it out. Oh, no, you're, you're not familiar with recommending things to me. Which is that, what? That, they that go was on only a, a few months ago. They go on a list somewhere, uh, and, and they get back to, like, years later. It's not a written list, but I... You I should know start it. writing the list. I know what's on the list. I, I have actually, a list. I actually thought of that when I was coming over here. I thought, oh man, I wonder if he's going to want to know if I watched the terror. I am going to want to know. And I'm going to have to tell him I haven't watched it. Dude, I want you to watch it because it's really fucking good. I will. I recently started re-watching it with a couple of my friends and they kind of liked it. So last time I made a joke. I was editing your first episode and I made a joke about... Um, Glass, the M. Night Shyamalan film. Yes. And um, I like that I was like right on the money with how um, with how I ended up feeling about it, which was that um, it was unnecessary and I didn't like it. <laughs> right. And I, had a, I similarly felt that it was unnecessary and a piece of shit. I feel... Did we talk about it? Uh, over email? Over email. Over email. I thought we might have, but I wasn't sure, so I wanted to bring it up on here because I haven't talked about it. Um, after ruminating on it and thinking about it some more, um, I still don't like it. <laughs> oh, no. I, I don't I think don't I'm either. ever going to watch it again. You know, like what you just said at the beginning of the episode. Like, It's one of those movies that probably deserves another watch, but I'm just, ne I'm just probably never going to do it. I don't I know why you think it deserves another watch. Because M. Night, M. Night has this thing about putting things in the background and trying to get you to pick up on things earlier and trying to 
deliver lines of dialogue that have meaning later, but maybe not in the beginning. And I'm, there are pieces to his puzzle that kind of unravel when you rewatch a movie. And I always like doing that. So I would say, much like many of his other good films, that it deserves a rewatch. But that being said, it felt almost too much like Split. And I didn't love Split. So for me, it just felt too much of something it wasn't and then didn't really commit to any of it. And then at the very end, he just said, fuck it. Well, I felt... <laughs> fuck it all to death. I felt like uh, he had talked of this up about being a trilogy and then we really found out that he didn't have... There was nothing in mind all along. I, I don't... Uh, watching Glass, I didn't think, oh, this is where he was headed when he came up with the unbreakable idea all those years ago. It isn't. It's what he came up with after Split was successful. And it's it's not a culmination of anything. It's just, well, here, you remember this guy? Remember what he was saying about comic books in real life? Well, here he is, and he's going to say it many more he's times. do it again. <laughs> over and over and over. <laughs> And, hey, to you, the point that it kind of deconstructs his own character. And hey, here's a guy with 23 personalities. Would you like to hear him go through them all? Many in, times? In one scene? <laughs> no, just in one like scene. A, a trick, yeah, like a trick? He'll check play the same four characters in every other scene, but there's one scene where he goes through many, many of them. Um, I didn't hate that as much. For all of these reasons, it deserves another watch. It deserves a fair watch. Because my first time watching it, I was so fucking hypercritical of it. Yeah. That I think it deserves a, f a fresh set of eyes. But at the same time, Unbreakable is like one of my favorite movies ever. Mine too. And I just can't forgive any of what he did to those characters in Glass. <laughs> Not the kid, not not David, not not Glass. No one in that fucking movie was done justice in this another in this sequel. I actually felt kind of bad for the actor who played David's kid because he just was terrible as everybody else. But I don't think it's his Aww. fault. He did a good job originally. I don't and think the kid was that bad. Uh, I had the scenes with him and Bruce Willis sitting around the computer screen. Planning their next listen, move. Listen, it's, it's Bruce who gave up. <laughs> no, he. I don't think he was actually awake in some of those scenes. He absolutely was not. He just like Samuel Jackson. I haven't um, seen a performance that bad since he was in the remake of Death Wish. I still haven't seen that because so many people have told me not to. Yeah, don't say still. Just you haven't seen it and don't plan to. <laughs> I haven't seen it and I don't plan to. Um, I did remember what I was going to say, which was... At one point in, like, 2015, he had an idea for a sequel to Unbreakable, and he wrote it all out, and he, like, took a step back and looked at it. And, like, I remember him saying this at Comic-Con, and he said something along the lines of, in my head, I see, I see they're on the top of a building in Philadelphia... And we have, like, a helicopter shot of the two of them standing at opposite ends uh, on the rooftop of this one building, and it's on fire. 
and they're both, like, shouting their monologues at each other <clears throat> about right and wrong and good and evil and all that shit. And then I remember M. Night saying that when he wrote that, he felt like it was so fundamentally wrong about everything he wanted Unbreakable to be, so he scrapped it. He was like, that was my idea for Unbreakable 2, and it was bad, so I'm not gonna do it. And then Split comes out. Split gets well-known. He sneaks that fucking had-to-have-been-a-two-hour lunch break photo shoot of a uh, credits <laughs> stinger <laughs> right in the end there. And everyone loses their goddamn minds. And then he decides, with probably the studio's push-push-nudge-nudge money-money, make a sequel to Unbreakable. And what does he fucking do? But pretty much go back and make the exact thing right. he said he didn't want to fucking make. Um, and I don't know if we've talked about this, but M. Night is one of my favorite directors. So it fucking hurts to see him do shitty shit all the fucking time. But Glass was not good. It barely even looked good. No, and it was exciting to... Since they... The movie was shot in an area that I'm familiar with. Yeah. Uh, to see some landmarks and stuff they recognize. You know, that's cool. And I just kept thinking, man, I wish this was in a better movie because this Jesus movie is god-awful. Yeah. Yeah, how fucking upsetting is that? Anyway, moving on. So, uh, this is Lots of Pasta. We've been talking for a long time about movies and horror and horror movies. And, um, this is episode 127 with Mark Rooster. Uh, speaking of cities, see, that was a segue. Speaking of cities. Speaking of cities and places you don't want to get lost, Philadelphia. <laughs> like, you definitely don't want to get lost there. What is the worst thing you think can happen with a wrong turn in a city, like a big city? You'll get killed. You'll get killed. That's where you go. For me, it's like I'm abducted by a gang of some kind... And they both mutilate me and torture me. And that's where I go. <laughs> and I don't like that. I'd rather just die at that point. Yeah, well, you should probably stay indoors at nighttime in Philadelphia then. Come up with such an exact fear. That's probably what, exactly what will happen to you. Poetic? I think not. <laughs> um... I'm I'm the kind of idiot who has walked around Philadelphia at 3 a.m. by myself. After coming out of a basement show four blocks away from the train station in fucking Center City. <laughs> like, subway. Subway to regional rail, regional rail all the way home, and I'm home by five. <laughs> like, really bad, dumb decision-making. And let me, let me tell you this... Nothing bad has ever happened to me in fucking Philadelphia. 
The worst that's happened is someone, like, kind of swiped my car and broke my side view mirror. The swipe buffed out. I replaced the side view. Nothing bad happened to me, and I went to school in Philly for, like, what is probably better to equate to six and a half years. So, like, shit, I got pretty lucky. And then the year I graduated, like, six kids killed themselves, one kid was murdered, and another was killed in a shoot-em-up. Jesus. Well, I'm sure Thanks, Temple University. (laughs) I'm sure Philadelphia is safer nowadays than it used to be, too. Uh, gentrification will do that. (laughs) Well, I didn't tell you, I mean, I gave no reason why. No, I told you the reason why. So... We're reading a story today that I think interested me ever since I saw the title, too, because it's um, it's a warning. And, you know, what's cooler in, like, a movie or a story than, like, a foreboding character who says, don't do that, right. <laughs> and then they do it? <laughs> like, it's a, it's a trope. It's a, it's a mechanism. I, I always liked that because... Um, it's just so sweet to see them meet this, the thing they have been told not to do. Don't do this. Like, hills have eyes. Like, just don't take that shortcut. They told you not to. Don't do it. All your family members die. Your daughter is raped. You're killed. The end. <laughs> like, there are the movies that have... Don't write in the title. Like, don't look in the basement. Don't go in the house. <laughs> don't. Oh, that's like the Edgar Wright joke. Don't for do these things. Yeah, but those are movies. Uh, don't look in the basement's a fantastic movie. Oh, I was talking about um, for Grindhouse they in the made, trailer. They yeah, made those fake trailers and Edgar, don't, Edgar don't. Wright just made a movie called Don't. Well, he yeah, he was summing up all that, all those don't movies from, from back then. Don't. I always liked those trailers. I wish that they made those movies and not Machete. Uh, I would have liked to see the Thanksgiving movie that Eli Roth was talking about. That one looked great. That one looked like fun. Um, There aren't a lot of Thanksgiving slashers either. I don't even want to think about Thanksgiving. I really don't. Um, I thought the Werewolf Women of the SS would have been like an actual fun film. That was the one that Rob... That was Rob Zombie's trailer. I think so. And Nicolas Nicolas Cage as Fu Manchu. Yeah. I haven't... I I haven't watched a lot of Nazi exploitation. (laughs) I've watched enough. You've watched it like you had enough? Or you've... I could always use more. You could always go for more? (laughs) I could always use more. Uh, (laughs) You're like, I've had an... I've seen enough Nazi exploitation for one No, no, I could always use more. Like a second helping. (laughs) Like like an after-dinner pudding. I could always use a little bit more. No, Jell-O. That's what I meant. There's always room for (laughs) Jell-O. Oh, shit. My friend's warning about strange places in the city... Uh, this is from Reddit No Sleep. What made you gravitate towards this one? Because I gave you a couple choices, like uh, like refrigerator in the woods. <laughs> well, just sitting here, you know, having a beer, 
you're relaxing, and you said, well, here's one, strange places in the city. As soon as you said the city, a uh, basket case popped into my oh, head. Oh, yeah. And I started thinking about <sighs> different New York city horror movies that are out there. And then by the time you were showing me the other titles, I'd already been thinking about that for a little bit. So, <laughs> so it made sense. Yeah. Man, why Basket Case of all city horror films? Well, that that director, Frank Henenlotter, did a lot of city ones. And I just... Oh, it's more about uh, the director. Well, Basket Case, and he did Frankenhooker, yeah. which is a fantastic movie. I haven't seen that. And there's just something about the way that he makes the city look in those movies. And it's those... You know, grimy glory days of New York in the 80s, 1990. Um, But, yeah, I was just... You saw... You you brought up the story with City, and I immediately started thinking about City horror movies that I like. And we also need to always remember that your favorite Friday the 13th is Jason Takes Manhattan. It's not my favorite, but (laughs) I, I like it. I feel like you always say that. I'm just going to continually call it your favorite. That's until, fine. Until one day you're just like, you know what? It is my favorite. Which is your favorite? The second or fourth one. Okay. Yeah, we do talk about the second one a lot. We do reference the second one quite a bit. I love the second one. I think it's just because you wrote that fucking paper on <laughs> Jason Takes Man. <laughs> I'll always remember it as, as something you wrote a fucking paper about. And that's just hilarious to me. Um, But, you know, uh, I don't know if I fear Jason walking around Manhattan more than I fear Manhattan in itself. Yeah, and they didn't touch on that too much in the movie. (laughs) No, I've had a couple nasty experiences in Manhattan, and I've never even lived there. So, I have been mugged in Manhattan. I have not been mugged in Philadelphia. Which made me happy, to say the least. Um... So, that's always a thing, too. Muggings. Uh, I guess they, they don't happen as much as they used to. I don't think so. But they still happen. People have cameras all over themselves. And everything is on cards and digital now. It's, people don't even carry cash. I remember when I was when I was mugged, he just took the entire wallet. And like a half hour later, I was like... Man, it's going to be a bitch to get all those cards back. And that was, like, the most of my concerns. Right. Because, like, he's not going to know a single pin on any of those cards. And I probably had a max of, like, 30 bucks in my wallet. Like, right. it's really not a huge loss. But, man, I really don't want to have to go to the DMV or have to get a new license or anything. <laughs> like, that's a pain in the ass. It is. So, yeah. Um, that was the most horrifying aspect about the entire thing. <laughs> Um, yeah, uh, do you want to start reading this? Or do you want me to start reading this? Oh, I can start. You want me to start? You want to start? To repeat the title, it is My Friend's Warning About Strange Places in the City. And this is from Reddit No Sleep. Alright, so, this is a warning. My best friend tried to warn me. I didn't listen, and now all that's left of me is a shell, a broken man. I'm sorry that there's so much of it to tell. I couldn't risk leaving anything out. All I need is for one of you to understand, and I've done my job. Owen was my pal. Maybe the best one if I had to rank them. One of the good guys. You used to be able to. MySpace let you rank your friends. They sure did. I missed that. I don't. I thought it was stressful. I liked it. 
Not I, felt, I, I wanted to add the pressure. I said, you mean nothing to me. You need to do better. <laughs> you move people around. You're like, you were, my, their lives. you were my fifth best friend, but now you're eight because you've offended me. And so now <laughs> she is now moving up and taking the spot where you used to be. And that's why I liked it. Uh, so Owen he didn't, he Owen didn't, didn't have, have many friends. He didn't have many he friends. He didn't have many friends. <laughs> we met in high school, drawn together by a mutual love in turn-based strategy games. Nerd! Master of Orion, heroes of might and magic. Owen was an absolute beast at those games. Beast. He had a queer talent for memorizing <laughs> <Queer>. patterns, <laughs> statistics, and maps. Sorry. He'd devour games like a man possessed, teasing out exploits and secrets while the rest of us were still getting our asses handed to us by the AI. Even five years out of college, Owen remained thin as a rake, his eyes looking perpetually surprised through thick spectacles. Life happened to the rest of our little circle of friends. We went corporate, chased the dream, ran the rat race. We never kept in touch like we should have, other than meeting up every few months for a meal. I gathered that he worked in a bank somewhere, cruising along and meeting his targets without excelling. The last time I saw Owen was a little over four months ago. He had arranged to meet me at one of our favorite bars in a quiet part of town. At least it used to be, until jobs and the pressures of grown-up life just expanded and expanded, filling up my life like so much bubble wrap. I got to the bar first, or so I thought. Searched the crowd fruitlessly until my eyes focused on a lone figure in a scruffy coat sitting at the bar. I had to swallow a gasp as the man turned around. I hadn't seen Owen in the better part of a year, but he looked like he'd aged a dozen. He was thin before, but he was nothing more than skin and bones. His cheeks were sunken in, unshaven, with a wispy beard framing his mouth. He smelled of sweat and grime and worse. One thing hadn't changed, his eyes still blazed with a fierce intelligence. He gestured at the seat next to him. When he spoke, the words came out in a rush. He'd found something, he said. He'd found a warning scribbled in an old map he'd seen in a library. It pointed to a street somewhere in the city that he hadn't been able to find on modern maps or on Google Maps. He'd hunted the street down, he said, and found a back alley, a nameless lane between two buildings that shouldn't have been there. Intrigued, he'd gone back and found another two maps in the library with other warnings, different handwriting from the first. The maps were published years apart, yet seemed to be warning readers away from similar nameless streets. Owen grew more animated as he spoke, gesturing wildly, a small crust of white spittle forming at the corner of his mouth. I just want to say that already I'm like... You're in it. I'm intrigued. It reminds me almost of the plot of like a Twilight Zone episode, Mm. which, need to say, really fucking excited after they released that second trailer of the new Twilight Zone. Right, right. Looks really good. I think that uh, Jordan Peele's going to make a good host. Yeah, the cast already looks amazing. The cast already looks great. I'm sure the stories are going to be really fun. Um, but already, like, it's just, like, the plot. Like, streets that shouldn't exist. You know, passing through alleyways. It having both an effect on your mental and physical state. Mm-hmm. You know, weird shit. Um, I'm glad that this is the story we're reading right after Dianea House, because that's kind of... They're both in the same vein. Dianea House is a warning. Yeah. Don't go into houses like this. This one is... Don't go down alleyways like this. Bad side of town. Bad side of town. Uh, so he'd found more of the lanes the maps warned about. Cracks between buildings that shouldn't have been there. Hidden alleys. 
I saw the familiar glint of obsession in his eyes. He'd found something special, a hidden system, and he wouldn't rest until he had laid bare its secrets. He stopped short, his eyes widening at something through the window across the busy street. I turned around to see what had spooked him, but the throng of people at the bar and on the street blocked me. Hands shaking, he teased out a tattered map from his pocket. It was covered in his crabby writing, too small to make out by the light of the bar counter. He marked a spot and hurriedly folded up the map, which quickly disappeared into his pocket. It's big. Something big. Something hidden. I've almost got all the places. I'm almost there. I can't move fast enough. I'll need something faster. So that's what he wanted, just to borrow my car for the weekend. I gave him a look that was half pity and half derision. Pity for the friend I knew and derision for the madman twitching before me. It wasn't the first time I'd let him drive my car, much less now since we drifted apart. I had no idea what had gotten into Owen and I wasn't even sure that I'd get it back in one piece. In the end, his plane of wheedling got the better of me and I agreed to let him have my car for the weekend. I wish to God I hadn't. I didn't hear anything from Owen that Saturday, or the day after. He didn't pick up his mobile the entire night. I had to get a cab in on Monday morning and plan to take my mounting frustration out on Owen after work. Friendship be damned. His antics seemed more like college hijinks than something an adult should be playing at. I checked my phone as I left my apartment. A text from Owen. Car at my place. I was wrong. Burn map. Leave nothing behind. Don't come after me. I was sufficiently creeped out by this message to leave work early. I hadn't been to Owen's apartment in years, but I still remembered the way. I saw my car parked out front, a cup of coffee in the cup holder, a huge map of the city, densely annotated, unfolded in the passenger seat. I made my way up the stairs. The door to the apartment was open, but Owen wasn't inside. His mother was. Her face crumpled with a grief that no parent should know. Owen's house was a wreck, his mental decline clearly reflected in his apartment. Maps, photographs, sheets of paper covered with a mixture of scrawled handwriting covered every possible surface. Between gulping sobs, she explained how she did just come back from the morgue to identify his body. He'd been in a pretty nasty hit-and-run accident the morning before. The cop said he must have been dragged for a distance. Facial identification was impossible. She only managed to identify him through his personal effects and a tattoo on his upper arm. Or at least a tattoo that used to be on his upper arm. The accident had sheared a chunk of flesh right off him. And she had to identify pieces of her son's body laid out onto the cold metal of a gurney. Owen's father and brother came by with the funeral director then. I excused myself, leaving the family to their grief. As his friend, I should have offered my help, but I needed to leave the house. Owen had been found on Sunday morning. I whipped out my phone to verify what I already knew. He texted me at 3 a.m. on Monday morning. Great. My head was still spinning when I got into my car. The shock of Owen's sudden passing and the chill left by the text message this morning danced nauseatingly in my head. Was the fight in the bar all I had to remember him by? I unfolded the map. Owen's spidery writing covered almost every available space on the map. 
He'd been writing with a force and speed which turned his usually neat script into an illegible scrawl so forceful in places that the cheap ballpoint pen had punctured through the paper. He'd marked out dozens of locations on the map with crude stars accompanied by annotated times and dates. The rest of the text made no sense. There were scribbled symbols that didn't even match any language that I knew of. The snatches of English that I could decipher made no more sense than the symbols, products of Owen's obviously addled mind. They watched from the cracks. Nameless streets. Secret kings and queens of the city. They sing to the dead. They eat the lost. The meaningless text still sent a chill down my spine. The depths of my friend's madness shocked me. I couldn't fathom why he would ask me to destroy the map. Maybe it's because he's fucking dead now. Lost in my troubled thoughts, I started my car. A polite chime snapped me from my reverie. It came from a shiny black slab on the dashboard. A GPS unit, not mine, Owen's. A strange thing for him to own since he didn't have a car to start with. Hey man, I've been geocaching. You can use a GPS walking around. It's not weird. <laughs> It's a little weird. I looked at the tiny LCD screen. I was at a location that Owen had marked out on his little GPS unit. His home? No, it was slightly off across the street. It looked to be in the middle of a building, a shop, maybe? The streets were empty of both pedestrians as well as cars. It was a quiet street, but something felt out of place. Now, the street wasn't totally empty. There was a small lane, practically just a crack between the two buildings, right next to my car. A waifishly thin teenage girl was standing there, dressed in tatty jeans and a plain threadbare t-shirt. Far too thin for the icy winter weather. No shoes, either. She was wearing a look of intense focus on her face, her dark, piercing eyes staring upwards towards Owen's apartment. And I could hear the smiths beaming from her iPod. <laughs> <laughs> Put some fucking shoes on. Her face was perfectly formed, pale but covered in streaks of dirt. Her blonde hair matted into crude dreadlocks, she seemed perfectly at ease in the cold. As though she could feel my eyes on her, her head snapped downwards, and she affixed me with her mesmerizing gaze. I felt transfixed, like a butterfly pinned to a cork board. Her bright pink tongue snaked out from between her dirty lips. The pointy tip ran across her lips in anticipation. I looked back at the GPS unit. There shouldn't have been an alley where she was standing. It should have been a continuous block of buildings. When I looked up, she was gone again. Unnerved by the nameless lane and the vanishing girl, I drove off a little faster than I should have. I must have driven at least five blocks when I heard the little chime from my dashboard again. Another star on the map. Same thing, a star where there shouldn't be a, shouldn't have been a break between buildings. I nearly slammed on the brakes in shock when I saw the girl again. There was no way she could have made the distance between my last stop and this one on foot. I racked my brains for a logical explanation as my car cruised by. A sister? twin sister, alley sisters? Or did she have a car in a parallel street? I found her giving me that same intense look. It had to be the same girl. It was the look, that hungry look. She craned her neck to follow my car as I drove by like a snake staring a mouse down. 
I watched her shrinking into the rearview mirror for as long as I could, then I floored the accelerator, trying to get as far from her as possible. Rubber squealed on the black asphalt. I'd put about seven blocks between the girl and I when the polite chime from my dashboard sounded again. Adrenaline pumped through my system. My gaze swept across the empty streets. There she was again. It had to be the same girl. It had to be. She caught my gaze with her own piercing look, and then she smiled at me. No. It wasn't a smile. She pulled her lips up and back and bared her straight white teeth. But there was neither humor nor warmth in the expression. It put me in mind of a baboon or a wolf facing down something small and helpless. Bearing her fangs, I thought. She abruptly turned and scuttled down that almost hidden alley. I stopped the car. Owen had found something I hadn't done right by him in his last days, but I had to know how he died. I owed him that much. <clears throat> no, you don't! I rounded the corner mere seconds after the girl. The alley was empty. Rough cement walls stretched to the sky, blocking out the tired light of the evening sun. She had vanished in the scant seconds it took me to get to the mouth of the tiny, nameless alley. My pulse quickened as I made my way down the tight corridor. My walk turned into a trot and the trot into a sprint. By the time I had reached the end of the end of the street, my chest was heaving, constricted by bands of hot iron. My breath steamed in the cold evening air. She wasn't there. There wasn't any alcove or windows or turnoffs anywhere down the alley. I hit the end of the alley and peered down the adjacent street. No trace of the girl. No alleyways she could have turned down. No doors or windows she could have climbed through. Nothing except the empty street with a familiar car parked by the side of the road. My car. I had walked a hundred yards through a straight alley and wound up back where I started. I felt the world spin around me, put my hand on the wall to steady myself. What had Owen found? What was he searching before before he died? How was it possible for a straight alley to start and end at the same place? Large gouts of mist shot from my mouth as my chest heaved. There was something unnatural about this place. Something wrong in the air. I felt strange grooves under my hand as I pushed on the wall to straighten up. Someone or something had carved a series of strange symbols on the wall. Now I know where Owen had gotten those scribbled hieroglyphics from. He'd seen them too. He must have been trying to decipher it like some code. Typical for him. I cast a final look straight down the strange empty alley. The girl was still nowhere to be seen. I left the strangeness of the alley behind me as I made my way back to my car. My breath misted on the cold window as I cast one final look towards that crack between buildings, that nameless space. The nameless space with the same girl staring out at me. The temperature was close to freezing outside, but I finally realized what had unnerved me about that silent tableau. All that time, all that time I was staring at her, I hadn't seen her breath mist up on the crisp evening air. What I saw that day filled up my waking moments like a creeping itch. I would find my eyes magnetically drawn to the hard plastic shell of my glove compartment on the slow commute to work. Owen's mysterious map and GPS navigator skittered around within their prison like caged rats when I took turns just a little too hard, reminding me of their presence. Owen had stumbled onto something. Something strange. He'd found something and it had consumed him. 
I'd gone to the funeral with the expressed intention of handing over the map and the navigator to Owen's family. The empty rows in the church showed just how far he'd taken his search. No colleagues, barely any friends, the odd family member. He'd lost his job months ago, cut off almost all contact with the outside world. Owen's mom had aged a decade since I saw her last. The raw shock of hearing about her son's death replaced with a bone-deep sorrow, painfully obvious in the crinkles in the corner of her eyes, in her sunken cheeks, in her haunted leaking eyes. I'd whispered my commiseration, saying how sorry I was, all while the truth of the map and Owen's last warning poised at the back of my throat like a wave of bile. I choked the secrets back where they sat in my gut, swollen and sour. I had to find out more. I spent hours trying to decipher Owen's writing, looking for a pattern in the crazed scribblings. I lacked Owen's skill with codes and systems. There was no pattern I could discern from the constellation of marked locations. No hidden message leapt out from his ravings. There was only one other thing to try. The day was cold, I remember. Even for midwinter. Not a skin cold. The cold that cut through your clothes seeped in with every breath into your lungs. A deep bone cold. I returned to the first three alleys where I'd seen the girl. I found nothing. The alleys were totally empty, in stark contrast to the busy streets just a few yards away. The fourth one was empty, too. It was getting dark by the time I got to the fifth point marked on the map. The crowd on the sidewalks had thinned out as the chill got deeper. Owen's handwriting was impossible to read in the weakening light. I rounded the corner and I saw another one. He could have been a brother or a twin to the girl I'd seen. Same blonde hair, a simple fitted t-shirt, jeans, barefoot on the biting cold concrete. He gave me a sardonic stare. He looked to be gnawing at something, a chicken wing or something similar, with great gusto. I saw as he stretched his mouth open to suck the last ounce of flavor off the little morsel before drawing out the bleached bone from his mouth and flinging it into the distance. He made a little moo, as though he'd bitten into something sour. Is that that word? I don't know. Okay. (laughs) He made a little one anyway, as though he'd bitten into something sour. His eyes still locked with mine, he opened his mouth and rooted around with a questing finger. Finding what he'd been looking for, he hooked out a huge-looking grayish chunk out of his mouth and delicately set it on the floor. Abruptly, he turned, took three deliberate steps to his right, and vanished around a turn. I rushed forward to see what he had out on the floor. I wished I hadn't. It was a ring, class of 06, still slicked wet with saliva on the outside, but sticky red with blood, shreds of tissue on the inside. I instinctively clutched at the identical ring I wore on my index finger. The boy hadn't been chewing on any buffalo wing. He'd been chewing on Owen's finger. And that's where I kind of like... Alright. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, um... Most people, that'd do it. Like, I, th- I think... I think that is the point where I logically say I no longer... All of my questions are answered. I no longer uh, want to know what happened to Owen. <laughs> or else I may end up like that finger. And that's the end of the story. Shit. The smell of blood hit my nose, sharp and rich through the evening chill. My last meal rushed out of me in a flood and sat hot and steaming on the cold floor. I turned to face the small nook the boy had walked into. Nothing. Like the girl, he'd vanished. All that lay before me was a featureless dead end. And not featureless, 
something that nobody else could have seen. Nobody but Owen and me. There, in the delicate spiderweb of cracks on the concrete, drawn out in a thin black filigree on the wall, was another of the symbols from Owen's map. When does a search become an obsession? Or when does obsession burst into mania? Owen's degeneration was clear as day to me, but my own descent was far more subtle. The terrible damage of the accident had visited one final indignity on Owen and his kin. They had to say goodbye to the polished wooden veneer of a closed coffin. Had it really been my dear friend in that box? There must have been a few hundred of those rings pressed out. It could have belonged to anyone in my graduating year. Yet, I knew deep inside of me that it had to be Owen's ring I had picked up off the cold cement, wet with spit and blood. My search began in earnest then, to seek out what he had found, hoping beyond reason that I would find my old friend somewhere along that path. I don't... That's not a... That's not a logical conclusion. <laughs> he's got a, He's trying to find out what happened here. Was the body found or not? A uh, piece of the shoulder, I think he said. Was that it? Was that really it? Mm, I don't remember. I've already I don't, forgotten. No, it's not. It's not forget. It's the writing style. I f I feel like he's specifically danced around the topic that they might not have found something, and I think like. Mm. The closed casket, the mother in a wrecked apartment, like, is the ring not enough evidence? For me, the ring is enough evidence. Like, I'm gone. Like, see ya. So it's just sort of weirdly written. R.I.P. <laughs> Find out. It started innocently enough. I'd spend a free evening after work wandering the streets, following Owen's map, each location like another morsel on a trail of breadcrumbs. The trail of clues was maddening. Again I got the sense of a deeper pattern behind the randomness, and cursed myself for being unable to see it. Each site I visited seemed to hold a piece of the puzzle. I grew adept in finding the hidden symbols that Owen had found in the cracks in the city. I'd already found the first symbol scrawled into the wall in chalk when I'd seen the girl. Another hidden in a network of cracks in a wall after I found Owen's ring on the floor. Those weren't the last. I found another set of three symbols, hidden within spray-painted tags on a wall. One more in the carefully arranged guts of a dead rat, its bowels burst and scattered over the floor. Another woven into the silken threads of a spiderweb, stretched between gray concrete and a rusty dumpster. Those hidden lanes and alleys were always deserted. It could have been lunch hour or rush hour, with the streets thronging with people and it would still be empty. I walked down those plain, blank, concrete canyons for hour after hour, always feeling watched, never feeling alone. I never saw another living soul in those lanes and alleys during my search, but the hairs in the back of my neck would rise once I stepped into one. There was a sense of something deeply wrong, wholly unnatural about these empty spaces. The sudden silence would envelop me like a cocoon, the rush of voices and vehicles coming from a world away, faint like the tinny broadcast of a distant radio station. The isolation was palpable. With the isolation came a crawling fear, a watery feeling in my guts and my legs that something or somebody was observing me, leading me on in my search. I never saw another living soul in those lonesome places, until I started seeing them again. Oh. The glances were always fleeting, titillating. 
A glimpse of a person turning into one of those cracks in the city, seconds before I rounded the corner, only to find myself alone in an empty alley. Or a set of footprints leading from a puddle, imprints of bare feet like those of the boy and the girl, vanishing into the distance as the cold, dry air drank the moisture off the trail. A recently toppled trash can still rolling on the floor, without any breeze to push it. I'm sure I saw the girl again once. The blonde one. Another girl with her dirty brown haircut short. The boy I saw several times, always in a distance, always fleeing from me. I'm sure there were more. My search intensified. I took time off work to visit the cracks repeatedly. The symbols practically leapt out at me from the walls and floors, screaming to be read, deciphered. My experience with the first crack never repeated itself, but it was hardly the last oddity I experienced in the cracks. Once, near midnight, I found a crack that stretched for a full city block on the map, yet I could only count 76 paces from entrance to exit. Against all rationality, it measured 76 yards within the crack, but 100 yards on all parallel routes. On yet another day, I went into one of the cracks, scanning the walls for more of those symbols when I emerged, blinking at the sudden brightness, three blocks down from where I'd entered. How could a straight path have deposited me anywhere but directly opposite where I'd gone in? By this point, my search started taking its toll. I'd gone beyond the point of worrying my friends. My phone, once a source of tweets, Facebook updates, and text messages, slowly went silent. My boss had called me in and told me that he was letting me go. My job would still be waiting for me if I applied again. He put his hand on my shoulder and looked me in the eye. I like you, he said. You've been a great worker, smart and fast. I don't know what kind of shit you've been going through for the past couple of weeks, but you're not contributing anymore, and I can't afford to keep you on at the state you're in now. I mumbled something vague about things being bad at home. I was too wrapped up in my obsession to care by that point. I'd gone beyond visiting and revisiting the same sites marked on Owen's map. The week before, I'd found a crack that wasn't on the map. Something new. Owen hadn't found them all. I could almost sense the shape of things, some pattern in the layout of the cracks, some waiting breakthrough in the symbols. That's when I found him. Tony the Tiger, the cereal mascot, he was standing in the alleyway with a bowl of cereals, <laughs> and he turned to me and he said, You're great. The end. <laughs> three to the one to the one, two, three. <laughs> Heavy shit, man. <laughs> What an ending. What? That didn't see Jesus that coming. Christ. No, it was Rod Serling. He steps out and he goes, And you never know when you're walking through the alleys, you might just end up in the spooky door. The outer limits. Oh. <laughs> the spooky door. <laughs> the scary door is what I meant to say. I went Futurama, you went outer limits. <laughs> the scary door. I found myself with a lot more time. My search expanded. I found two more cracks, greedily documenting their locations and taking pictures of all. Did we? That's yep. <laughs> That's when I found him. And, and then, then I found myself. And then we don't say what we found. I found myself with a lot more time. My search expanded. I found two more cracks, greedily documenting their locations and taking pictures of all the symbols I could find, posting them to Zanga, and then I found my fourth one. The sun was high overhead, but the light provided no warmth, like a morgue. <clears throat> I remember thinking, all bright and cold. I rounded a corner on a busy street downtown, my breath caught in my throat. I felt the familiar tingle. 
I'd found another one. My heart leapt. But there was something else here. A few yards in, hunched over, was a man. A denizen of the streets from the looks of it, his tattered jacket wrapped tightly around his slight frame to keep out the biting cold, a dirty hand poked out from his jacket, holding the zipperless front together. It wasn't his hand, it was just a hand he found, and then he turns to the guy and he says, need a hand? And then he says, no, I don't. <laughs> I just saw two fingers clutching the dirty material, some terrible damage had been wrought on his hand, a, a bandage gummy with dried blood and pus covered the rest of it. I rushed forward to speak to him, the first other real person I'd seen in my search, and he perked up at the sound of my footsteps. His roomy eyes widened when he saw me. The man raised a sheet of cardboard, crudely torn from some carton or box. I had expected to see something routine. A plea for spare change, something about being willing to work, maybe even something witty. Instead, scrawled in large blocky letters, four words, run. They hunt you. The rough strokes of the letters were too broad to have come from a sharpie or a marker pen. The ink was a rusty smear of brown, too spread out to have come from a normal writing instrument. Blood. The man had written the warning in blood. <laughs> it's just the next <laughs> sentence. He just says it. Who? I formed the question with my lips, even though I know that I've seen a couple of weird people who look like they want to eat me. <laughs> oh, clears the bell. Owen's voice. The kings and queens of this city. In that moment, my eyes locked with the clear blue eyes of the wreck of the man in front of me, and the dawning realization hit me like a freight train. Owen, sweet God in heaven, I was looking at Owen. He'd known it was me all along, of course, but he hadn't expected the look of recognition on my face. He opened his mouth and moaned a wordless sound of pure anguish, his mouth wide enough for me to see the black stump flapping around inside like a dying fish. The shock of recognition was too much for me. My knees buckled as I backpedaled away from the ruinous vision in front of me. I went over backwards. The impact drove the air from my lungs. The world flashed white as my head met the floor with a crack. I got to my knees, wincing in pain. Owen wasn't there in front of me. I raised my head. The pain felt like a tent spike between my ears. Owen was standing a few feet from me, but he wasn't alone. The blonde girl was standing next to him, dwarfed by Owen's gangly frame. She held his hand delicately, like a nurse leading someone old and infirm. Owen's entire demeanor had changed. Moments before, he had worn an expression of shock and anguish. All that had melted away, and there was nothing but naked fear in his eyes. He shook gently as the girl raised his ruined hand to her lips, planting a kiss on the rotten bandage over his missing fingers. <laughs> Not a kiss. I saw her lips work up and down as she sipped 
hungrily. When she looked up, there was a smear of brown over the perfect pink bow of her lips. We're coming for you next. There is so very little of this one left, and there are so many of us. Her voice was clear and sharp with just a trace of girlishness. <laughs> she reached up and stroked Owen's cheek softly, smiling at me. Owen shuddered. The crotch of his jeans darkened as he lost control of his bladder. I tried to get to my feet, but the pain was blinding. The rush of blood to my head whited out my vision again. I blinked furiously, trying to clear my sight. When the world swam back into focus, Owen and the girl were gone. I rushed forward to the spot where I'd seen him last, and nothing lingered but the faint smell of piss and fear. Like the first time I stepped into one of these cracks, a long, straight, concrete canyon stretched out before me, no traces of Owen or the girl. Then the screaming started. The same sound that Owen had made earlier, a sound of pure pain and anguish torn straight from his soul. It seemed like it was coming from everywhere and nowhere. I spun around like a madman, hoping to catch one last glimpse of my friend, and he wasn't there. I put my hand against the wall to steady myself. I snapped my hand back. The wall was vibrating, humming. The screams were coming from the walls. I ran. I ran so far away. I knew you were going to say that. The streets had emptied out for the evening. I'm too predictable, <laughs> damn it. Why am I even doing this show? I'd lost track of where I was or how far I'd run. I felt like a man coming up for air, surfacing from the depths of a waking dream. A stranger looked back at me from the glass facades of the shops I walked past. An eternity ago, I was young, full of life and successful. Two weeks ago, Owen was the vagabond, the kook, the madman. Now we were the same, he and I. Disheveled, unshaven, that is what disheveled means. With one difference, I was afraid now. Afraid of what I'd become, of how far I had fallen. Afraid of what I'd been chasing, not knowing that I was being hunted with a greater hunger than I was capable of imagining. Why couldn't Owen just write down there are people who want to eat you on the map instead of just writing wingdings? I swallowed a little scream as I saw a pale face watching me in a reflection. It was my reflection. I peeked over my shoulder. A young man stared out at me from an alley, one of them. The alley was dark. The scant street lighting made it seem like he was floating in the shadow. That's cool. He beamed widely at me, his teeth white and perfect, and stepped backwards. The darkness swallowed him. My pace quickened, another alley, another crack, two of them this time, staring out from across the street, their eyes bright with mirth and longing. Is that what Owen saw that night in the bar? Was he being hunted too? A I broke into a slow jog, and then into a flat-out sprint as the fear took root and grew. I wish he'd stop writing sentences like, I did this, but then I did this. He's a Owen, was Owen was dead now, I was sure of it. I had squandered his first warning, SQUANDERED IT, and I feared that his second warning had come too late. I had to get home, destroy the maps like Owen said, stay away from the cracks, maybe leave town, or I'll break my mother's back. There was nothing left here for me anyway. Only one more thing to do. 
and I've just done it. Like the map Owen found, or the last text he sent me, or his last message to me written in his own blood, I've burnt the map, deleted all my photos, thrown out the GPS unit, destroyed anything that hints at where the cracks are. There are dark things in our cities, hidden things, hungry things lurking in the web of cracks like spiders, waiting for the unwitting and the unprepared. All that I need to do is leave my story, my warning, and my hope that nobody else follows me or sees what I've seen. I am done. Done? Done. Yep. Uh, I really liked that, actually. I know I'm, I know I'm mocking it. It's kind of over-dramaticism. Um, well, some of the writing is kind of crappy. Um, but well, it's not a bad story. That's what you get with Reddit <laughs> nose leaf. Um, so that story, let me just say, um, if I had read that story before episode 100, probably would have had a really good time with it. But we read two stories post episode 100 that kind of just like, eh, made me eh the entire time. And one of those is Plot Holes that I read with Sofa King on, I think, episode one, I want to say 115. I don't know. I don't know the actual number. We've done too many episodes. Um, Plot Holes kind of has this, like, the way it's written is, like, uh, to spoil it, I'm going to spoil it now. Episode 127, listeners. You should have listened to that episode, like, 12 episodes ago. Um, Plot Holes is basically, like, this kid starts to notice throughout his life that the timeline for things isn't matching up, and the more he notices it, the more he sees the people pulling the strings behind the plot holes. And then they target him, and then he disappears. And it ends on this kind of, well, how did I write this story? Right. If I'm dead, how are you reading this right now? And then it says, you've just discovered your first plot hole. Mm. I hope you don't see any more. Right. Or else you'll end up like he did. And it's really great, and it's really poignant, and it's fun. Mm -hmm. I remember reading that last line, and I was like, yes! <laughs> like, that's how you write a fucking short story. But um, this time, I'm just like, okay, it is a warning. There's no real... There's no real, like, joie de vivre behind it. It's just, this happened. The last line is actually pretty great. I am done. I am done. It's like, I am done telling the story. I am done warning you. I am also done living because I'm going to get eaten. Right. It's I am done on multiple levels. Um, the second story that kind of blows it out of the water is the left-right game, the longest series we've ever read on this show. It's a five-part series I read with Tenron Otrin and just finished. Um, I think the first episode is like 106, and the last one was like 117, 116. Again, I'm making these numbers up. Just go watch the other episodes. Listen to the other episodes, I mean. Um, Left-right game is about how... Uh, the idea is that you're driving down a street and you take the first left, you take the next right, you take the next left, you take the next right. Eventually you'll end up like somewhere beyond space and time. <clears throat> the roads will just start to devolve. Even if you're in the middle of a city, you'll find yourself in a field of corn. 
just, you know, on one of the lefts or one of the rights, you'll just find yourself in, like, a new dimension. Have you tried it? No. Probably best not to... But, you know, after reading the story and how all those characters die, I don't think I want to. Yeah. But at the same time, um, I love to drive, and I actually think that was the joke that I end the episode on, the fifth part. I turned to, I turned to Tenron, and I say, so what do, you, what do you think would happen if we did this? And he says, this might not even be in the episode. This might have been after the recording, because we reminisce. Um... We really liked reading that story. I want to start by saying that. Tenron and I talk about that story a lot. That story was fucking great. Those five parts might be a long time to listen to. It's like a ten-hour story. Each of those episodes mm-hmm. is like two hours. Um, but it's a wonderful fucking story. And I feel like in passing, he has said, the only thing that would happen is we talk about left-right games so much that we'd probably listen to an episode or two. As we were driving, and then the more lefts and rights we would take, we would realize that we actually were fucking lost, and then I would have to, like, Google Maps to get home, and at that point I'd waste, like, an entire tank of gas, right. <laughs> you know, like, so it's just, like, uh, I love the I love the concept, though, I love the simplicity of it, like, yeah, no shit, you're walking through the city, there are gonna be alleyways that aren't on the maps, because none of the maps are updated, your GPS could easily be out of date, your GPS could easily be in the need of an update. <laughs> like yeah. that has happened to me multiple times. I actually remember telling um I got my first GPS in like 2007 and uh the first thing it tried to do was drive me off a fucking cliff. <laughs> That's not like <laughs> that actually happened. I'm with my my brother and my sister. We're in my car. We're going to uh, my pop's place outside Philly. And it leads me from suburb streets into a dark forest on a dirt path, telling me this is how I'm going to get to my my dad. And I call him up and I'm like, am I supposed to pass through a forest? And he's like, no. Pass through a forest. He's like, there are forests around, there are forests (laughs) everywhere, but what the fuck are you doing in a forest? It's nine o'clock, you were supposed to get here an hour ago. And I'm like, okay, I'll stop and I'll turn around. And I just happened to stop in front of what is probably a 10-foot cliff that my car would have fallen down if I had, like, driven another, like, 10 feet. Um, really happy for technology. <laughs> this story doesn't help. <laughs> the GPS killed a man yeah, today. <laughs> GPS, not too helpful this time. Um, what did you think of the story? Well, I I thought it was decent. It is decent. It is... It is better than some of the other stories we've read on this show. (laughs) I also think it is, um... It's right in the fucking vein of Dianea House. It's it's right up there with the same kind of... Um... Vague warning of characters who continue to make the same mistakes over and over again and refuse to learn from their friends who die pretty much right in front of them. At some point, you just gotta give up. Owen is not coming back, so <laughs> something happened to him. I is draw the line in the is? sand at the fucking finger. <laughs> yeah. Like, the, the ring covered in blood. This dude is 
Didn't he hawk a bone? Couldn't you have gone and found the bone and been like, yep, that's a finger bone. I'm done. <laughs> like, if you couldn't confirm it at the ring, like, why would that guy take a ring out of his mouth? That's weird. But maybe it's a trick. Yeah, then, a then I would bone. go and find the finger bone and I'd be like, that's a finger bone. Oh, uh, I, I measured my finger. That's something that doesn't translate. Visual. Visual. You were doing visual gags? I was doing a visual <laughs> gag that did not carry over to the podcast. Uh, Django would be a fan of that. Um, I'm glad you thought the story was competent. Yeah, decent is exactly what it, it uh, It's right out of, uh, it, you know, it's right out of Bastard Stepchild of Twilight Zone. <laughs> it's... Uh, it's one of No Sleep's uh, standard fare <laughs> at this point, I would consider. Good. Um, I liked it. I had a good time. Uh, is there anything you want to get into or anything you want to say before I end the episode? No. Great. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, this was episode 127 of lots of pasta. Uh, make sure you have a friend with you when you go exploring around the city, folks. Or else you could end up uh, finger licking good. You could just end up as a finger. Now I just want to go to KFC. <laughs> you could just end up being a finger. You're just a finger now. He came in through one side of the alley and he came out another side. A giant finger. And this is my buddy Owen. No, you're not seeing incorrectly. He's just a finger. He's a finger. Oh, that's great. Last night in the deep.